And welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Going for Two, presented by our good friends at Home Field Apparel. I am your host. I am the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. I'm Matt Brown. I'm joined here by my friend and colleague, Brent Fisher. I want to go ahead and just get this out on the table in the very beginning. I would like to preemptively apologize if I sound ridiculous over the course of the next uh, this recording, I am losing my voice, which is unfortunate for someone that has to talk for a living. I, I'm, I'm not sure if this is just because the weather is changing. I don't know if it's because I'm in close proximity to a four-year-old who is just then a germ vector of all levels. I know it's not the coronavirus. I've checked. I've tried to be responsible here. I'm just, uh, I think I've had 26 different of those little lozenges and it's helping a little bit, but Please forgive me if I sound like uh, I have a frog in my throat or if I picked up a cigarette habit here over the past couple of days. I promise I haven't. I was going to say your your three pack a day uh, habit there is not uh, not doing you too well, but you yeah. know it adds to the adds to the the grovelly nature of uh, podcasting. Yeah. I, I think it could could end up uh, working out well if you could at least keep the the same level uh, here for the entire episode. <laughs> I'll I'll do I'll do my best. I'll do my best to challenge my inner Schnellenberger uh, as as we as we, uh, we we knock this out. This is um. It's been a, I think, a pretty fun couple of days across our little uh, sector of, of the Internet from you know what we're publishing. I know this isn't maybe the the most attractive week of football games, uh, but there, I think we've been doing some 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 interesting stuff off the field. There's some interesting things happening uh, since since our last show. Um, I thought we could start maybe by talking a, a little bit more about a story that I just filed at Extra Points. The, the full story is behind the paywall, but. I think there are. Let me talk about this at a high level. I, uh, I I I talked to a couple of individuals that are running an NIL collective, and I recognize that that alone is not an interesting story because there's like over 110 of these, and a lot of them share a lot of similarities. This collective is different because it's not supporting an athletic department. It's not supporting uh, football and men's basketball players. It's just supporting one Olympic program a women's sports program. And there aren't very many NIL collectives that are dedicated to women's sports. And to the best of my knowledge, this is the only one whose sole purpose is to support a gymnastics program. I was talking to folks uh, uh, supporting the Utah Red Rocks women's gymnastics team. And they have a collective that's going to be, I think, officially dropping in the next eight weeks. And what was, I think, you know, and there's like, there were two things about this group that there are, are, are really unique and and you brian you probably already knew this but like i don't think i appreciated just how crazy attendance draw utah gymnastics is like they all draw the men's basketball team this is this is a revenue sport um even without any fancy television deal because they get 14 15 000 people in there a night every single night right yeah, the, it's probably one of the, the better atmospheres I think you'll find uh, west of the Mississippi. And, uh, you know, they, they're not the only, uh, certainly, gymnastics program that ha is, is, is a bit of a draw locally. Um, you know, yeah, I think in, in the Pac-12, there are several good ones uh, drawing yeah. on that that Olympic nature. But uh, you go back down to the south, I mean, Alabama, Auburn, uh, Florida, you know, like there, there are a lot of those programs. LSU, exactly. There, there are a lot of those programs that um, you are consistently, uh, you know, drawing into the the five figures. And um, that, that that's very impressive. And I, I think kind of owes to, you know, not only is, is it is it important to kind of spotlight those sports, but like it, it it's great to kind of see 
communities embracing uh, a lot of these these Olympic uh, you know athletes and these Olympic uh, sports because it, it it's it's great for for the schools. This is kind of what what the the original purpose of college athletics was was all about was not just to to be that front porch for the university, but yeah. you know kind of kind of make that those connections with the community. So um, yeah, no, it, it is a, a terrific atmosphere. I, I I'm gonna have to find a way to kind of uh, make my way to to go see one of those gymnastics meets. I, I think at some point. In your future, but uh, you know it, it is yeah, me, uh, it is it is well. quite the uh, quite the scene there. At least uh, well, at least watching on TV a couple times. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been to completely packed women's Olympic sport events. I've been to Wisconsin volleyball. I've been to Nebraska volleyball. They're cool as hell, right? I've 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 been to uh, I've been to to gymnastics meets before in the Big Ten, where it's not quite as big of a thing, even if the quality of competition is very strong, but. There's two things, uh, other things about the collective beyond the fact that it's a unique market that separates itself. One is who's running it. Because there have been a couple of, of, of people in Utah that have apparently cut big checks to allow the entity to give all of the money to athletes. Most collectives right now don't. They, they usually take some operating percentage, whether that's 10 or 20 and sometimes more than that percent uh, to pay for staffers or administrative fees, you know, which is not – uh, uncommon in the nonprofit world anyway, like fundraising takes time and money and and, uh, and phones and, and everything. So you're, 100% of the money is going to the athletes. And, and your, your, your governing board, though, are not just a lot of ex-gymnasts, of which several still live in and around Salt Lake City, but you have Chris Hill, who used to be the athletic director. You have uh, multiple former athletic department personnel, uh, old SIDs, old sports-specific administrators, old development officers. There are a couple of ex-ADs that are working in collectives. Um, I, I think at Indiana, uh, their old athletic director is involved. I, I want to, yeah, I, I want to say there's a couple other ones. A lot, um, a lot of, a lot of like uh, kind of, I, I guess, mid-level staffers, yeah, if, if you want to say, it, you know, your associate ADs that for for development and assistant ADs that that type has also uh, really gotten into the the um, you know the collective world, I guess you could say, at, at places like you know, as you mentioned, Indiana, Kansas, some others, you know, like the, I think that is becoming a, a very Georgia. interesting career path. You know, for for a yeah. lot of these people, uh, in that, yeah, you're you're still kind of basically doing the same same thing. You're still raising money. You're still making those connections with donors. Only you're just not doing it for kind of a state entity uh, in, in in a lot of cases. So, it, it it's it's definitely added to uh, I think that the kind of headcount in terms of the industry in, in some respects. I'm not surprised when I hear about a 35 year old associate AD of development moving to a collective that might potentially offer a better quality of life and a different relationship with donors. Like I get that. That's an, that's, a, that's an important experience for these groups to have because a lot of these collectives don't have any uh, either institutional knowledge or development knowledge or even local community knowledge, right? You, they just have money. So the Utah one has a lot of, uh, a lot of, a, a lot of old timers, which I, I'm saying this not pejoratively, like people who really understand Utah, and Utah Utes and the Crimson Club and the athletic department there. But you also have, um, it's uh, an, an, an entity here where, I mean, you're, you're not a 501c3, um, but you're still orienting around charity and you're orienting around one very specific sport where you're trying to fundraise in a different area. Like this is the concern that you and I have talked about, or our peers have talked about it. It's written a lot. You have a lot of ADs that even though this hasn't happened a ton yet, are concerned about money that goes to NIL collectives being diverted away from capital projects or being diverted away from scholarships or being diverted away from anything that might fund 
the athlete experience. I'm making air quotes here with, with my fingers. And we would probably think that this might be a good thing for some of that money to get be re-diverted, but we're not ADs. Our mortgage does not depend on this world. And, and you can understand why there's, there's a finite number of donors, right? With the Red Rocks group here, um, the Who Rocks the House Collective, they are trying to build everything here, mostly centered around small donors, people that aren't currently giving to the athletic department because they figure, look, if you got 14,000 people in the arena, and almost all of them have not given to the Crimson Club before, you know, for, for uh, the way this was explained to me, and this would be similar to college uh, volleyball, I think. These are pretty family-centered crowds. There's a lot of ten-year-old girls um, in 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 the in these in the in, in the audience for these things here. It's it's an affordably priced ticket. A lot of minivans in in the parking lot, <laughs> right? Which 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 hey, which is great. You get the, you get these guys in the building if you are able to activate seven thousand of them, paying five bucks a month, ten bucks a month. 6,000 of them, you're not necessarily diverse. I mean, it's not like that was going to go to the football NIL group or to the next capital campaign, but they do want to be a part of something. And that in a world where there's not a whole lot of other groups can be really meaningful, either in recruiting or in retention or in you know promoting experience, what, what have you. So I, I, if I was somebody of means that really cared about Wisconsin volleyball or LSU gymnastics or Texas softball, or some of these other entities. I think this is a model that could be replicated. It probably can't be replicated 35 different times, but I think it could be replicated enough where it could be pretty meaningful to some programs. Yeah, and I think engaging those those the, that level of donors or potential donors, I, I think is is huge. You know, I, I you look at the, just kind of the untapped market at, at a lot of people. You know, there's yeah. there's only a certain percentage of your fan base that is you know paying those those fees to to your uh, you know uh, booster organization to to get tickets in kind of the lower bowls of, of your football stadiums or or on, you know near near the court on basketball. So um, you know, there's still a lot of people that are just kind of you know yeah they they maybe are, are season ticket holders, but a lot of them are a little more casual and. and Passive fans, but still may want to support the program in in a meaningful way. And I, I think the the unique nature of, of Utah gymnastics, I, I think, is contributing to this. But you're right; I, I think this is something that could end up happening uh, for for a lot of sports. I think baseball would would be the the, the top one. Uh, yeah, I, I think we've already start to see uh, you know places like Texas A and M, um, you know, develop some more. Um, you know, collectives and, and, and focus on NIL uh, surrounding some of those those non-revenue sports, although for, for a lot of those cases uh, in, in baseball and the SEC, they are revenue sports. But, um, you know, I, but, you know, like it, it, it's it's I think contributing a lot to um, how, how can we make sure that these athletes are taken care of? And uh, we're, we're seeing some some unique ways. And it's interesting that this is happening at, at Utah. And, and you wrote the story this week because um, the youths were in, in not, not just for their, their upset of USC on, on uh, last Saturday, but they were in the news because because AD Mark Harlan uh, was, was speaking about 40 and, and talking about, we oh, we had, about a, this, yeah. we had a tight end. And, uh, you know, it, you know he, he ended up uh, getting a million dollar offer and uh, ended up staying. Well, uh, it's just like, you know, th- th- there are certain amounts certainly on the football side, but um, you know, these, these Olympic sport athletes, uh, they have a huge market as well. As you mentioned, they're packing, packing the Huntsman center there for with 14, 15,000 people that there is a market for a name image and likeness for, for some of those gymnasts. And I think this is the rise of these collectives. I mean, you, you look even going to go down to Auburn, you know, like uh, I think uh, Suni Lee would, would not be at Auburn if, if it were not for, you know, name image and likeness being, um, you know, in legislation and, and, and you know, kind of going enacted and, it's also interesting to note that this is all going to be set against um, some likely new um, rules coming out of the NCA and in the national office, uh, probably as soon as next week and, and uh, as yep. soon as early next week um, regarding some of the 
crossover, I guess you could say, between what the athletic departments can do and or can't do uh, with, with regards to talking with these collectives with with name, image, and likeness. So uh, a very interesting time for the space overall. Um, I, I, I've definitely written before that I could do some kind of NIL story every week and I wouldn't be writing the same story. And I, I don't do that in part because I understand that some people are just sick of this, right? Um, and, and, and that includes some ADs that includes some people that some daddy DOs are like, bro, I, I, I don't care anymore. Um, but so my, I think my barrier for what constitutes an interesting story has, has risen a little bit. This, this did strike me as, as unique. And I'm interested to see where it ends up going. I, I mean, I did talk to like two people there for an hour each time and neither of them really brought up recruiting at all, which is very different from many other NIL collective conversations that, that I have had. There's there's one other off the field businessy thing here that uh, I do want to very kind of quickly talk about. It, it's something I haven't written really about this week. I'm, I'm going to touch on it a little bit in the the Friday extra points, and that is what the um, what's going on with the Big Twelve television deal right now. And part of the reason I've I've hesitated to really like jump into this is because I feel like there's just been a lot of baloney written about this and and, and of course you, you can't talk about the big 12 anything business-wise without also mentioning the pac-12 over the last three and a half months where you have a, a couple of people affiliated with schools or comp or commissioners in both leagues trying to wish cast things into the narrative um and and a couple of writers that are are, are, are closely aligned with those camps uh i think you know I don't want to be unkind, but you know, diligently sharing that particular perspective. So it's been hard for me to kind of sit back and think like what is real versus what is somebody trying to publicly negotiate on Twitter or through their, their platform. But based on Big 12 commissioners' public comments here after some media blitzes, uh, it would appear that the league would like to make a decision relatively quickly about whether they're going to hit the open market and or wait to hit the open market for their television rights. Or sign a new deal, renew early, which, as best as I understand it, would mean re-upping with ESPN and Fox, their 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 current partners. Um, the I want to use the right language here. We we could expect a decision about whether to make a decision um, relatively soon, rather than I don't I don't think there's going to be like a deal announced tomorrow. There there could be one in in the coming weeks. Um, I, I guess I, I have a couple of thoughts about the the, the broad strategy here, but I, is there anything about this process so far that has surprised you? Because it certainly seems from on the outside, everything with the Big 12 seems to be happening in an expedited timeline compared to the Pac-12 or perhaps even the Big 10 with how they went through this, their, their media rights process. Well, yeah, I, I think the speed of, of things is um, the, the biggest I guess eye opener for for me is just typically these TV deals take take a long time to to, to negotiate and go through and yeah. uh, go through the with a fine tooth comb and uh, kudos to the Big Twelve is is getting this done. I I think there's we're still going to end up waiting uh, well past next week in order to kind of actually finalize some of these things or or get any announcements. But you know, look, yeah. uh, they're they're in a different boat uh, because I think they want cost certainty. You know, both from a television broadcasting side, you know, you, you want to know how much you're going to end up paying a lot of these Big Twelve schools going forward, and and on on the flip side is how, how much are these big 12 schools going to get uh, because they're going through membership changes right now. You know, I, I think uh, locking them in, um, 
ideally, certainly from, from the school perspective, with some increases, um, you know, over the couple of years to withstand the loss of Texas and Oklahoma, um, you know, are huge. And they know, understand, I think, the landscape of, you know what, the NBA is on the horizon. We have the CFP uh, going to market for sure in, in the next couple of years as well. So those are those are two big kind of big fish that are going to soak up a lot of dollars. If you can kind of get in ahead of that and, and at least kind of lock in your structure for the next couple of years, um, you know, that I think that would be beneficial for the league, not just keeping it together, but um, I, I think for the schools themselves understanding, hey, here's what we're, we're kind of getting into uh, together. And, um, you know, from every, you know, I mean, this, this is very much an extension of, of kind of the current deal. You know, they, they do have to work around some inventory changes um, when they have the new members come in. And then obviously you're, you're losing Texas and Oklahoma. So um, it, it's, it's a, probably a very difficult deal um, just uh, based on, on uh, my, my talk with, with folks in terms of figuring out all those little numbers and, and all the, all the minor details about like, all right, well, you're going to pick first on this, this, 2022 and 2023 and then we got yeah. you know th those are all the the things that uh, you know the lawyers and the, and the, and the tv executives are, are trying to hash out right now but um yeah I, I think it's big for the big 12 especially if they can get in and actually get a deal done ahead of the pac-12 getting ahead of the pac-12 i think as well is is meaningful less so because that means like oh oh shit they're gonna go steal arizona or whatever like I, that is is different well they're they're in two different boats you know like this yeah. is the, you know the big 12 cannot go to the open market they cannot talk to an amazon they cannot talk to an apple you know the big the the pac-12 can and, right. and that is that is differentiator i mean uh you know the pac-12 can chop their packages up in, in a far different manner than what is currently you know under the current big 12 umbrella with fox and espn You're um right. you know this this is very much an extension this is very much um you know focused on on that membership change and uh, i'm, I'm going to be interested to see see what kind of the, the deal term might end up being as as part of all this but um you know the big 12 is just in, in they've they've tried to kind of take their their biggest disadvantage of, of going last and, and trying to at least spin it as as a positive I, I think hopefully that that will get done for for a lot of those schools but um you know what those ultimate numbers are, are going to look like I, I just don't get the sense that that there's going to be a huge gap in terms of what the ultimate the, the ESPN the those first tier rights uh, from ESPN and Fox are going to be from Big 12 side to the Pac-12 side. I, I just I don't think there is going to be a massive gap that I know a lot of folks in the Big 12 territory have been talking up. I I, I would be very surprised if they end up uh, being several um, you know, ten, uh, $10 million or whatever ahead of what the, what the Pac-12 will ultimately end up getting. I, I've heard that exact same thing, and I've heard that for, for months. What is interesting, I mean, I, I mean to, to kind of finish, you know, piggyback on that, the, the, one of the things that I think would be meaningful if they did get this done earlier is that they might be able to then have access or a pick of broadcast windows ahead of what may potentially be available for the Pac-12 as their, but that that their Pac-12 is also going to be more streaming anyway. The other thing that, that that's more interesting to me about all of this though, actually has nothing to do with top line money and has nothing to do with, with, with specific broadcast partners. What's been super fascinating to me from afar is how aggressive the Big 12 seems to be, or, or, or at least at least presenting about trying to to raise money and generate revenue independent of just that linear broadcast deal, particularly in the sponsorship space and particularly in how that league is branded or defined. So it's meaningful. It's interesting to have your commissioner uh, do a multi-day media blitz in New York City when you don't have any teams anywhere close to New York and you don't have fan bases or alumni bases that are really heavily concentrated in New York. They've talked about doing something similar in Los Angeles. They just... Uh, League announced that they're going to partner with an advertising agency uh, to uh, help with the league's rebranding. You you hear you hear your uh, your mark talking about we're going to lean into 
influencer marketing. We're going to lead into music-based activations. We're going to we're going to be big with celebrities, and we're trying to make this league young and cool and influential. And and we've we've, we've talked about this. And, and like, I, I don't. I am I am well aware that I am not cool. That I am not connected to the youth. I am not connected to you know to, to what's hip and what's happening. So I don't want to superimpose like my own instincts. I mean, maybe this works, maybe it doesn't. I honestly have no idea. But the 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 thought process and how you might execute it and what makes it what makes this league easy to do that or very difficult to do that. I think I think that's interesting to me. So um, you know, earlier this week, I actually talked to one of my one of my friends about this because I am not an ad guy, but I know a lot of ad guys. One of my buddies, a guy named Jake Welsh, has been in, in advertising for over a decade. He's he's worked on a couple of big national campaigns. Um, and as, as, a, as a BYU guy, BYU has a pretty famous ad ad lab and, and sends a lot of people to Leo Burnett and to a lot of the, the big firms in uh, on Madison Avenue and in Chicago and around the country. And, and I, I was talking to him like, what would you do if you were given this account? Like what what strategies would you do here? What do you think are some potential pitfalls? What are things that like an ad guy or an agency would look at when evaluating this league? What are its its its, its uh, opportunities? What are its, its challenges? Those sorts of things. So I I do think we'll be able to share some of that audio here at, at the at the end of the show, because um, I can I can hypothesize and 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 kind of spitball things here. But I think it'd be nice to talk to somebody that actually has a little bit of subject matter expertise. Well, but well, before we get into the interview, I, I just got to say that uh, it, yeah. it does feel not, not to rain on anybody's parade in the Big 12 territory, but it does feel a little bit right out of the early Larry Scott playbook, if I do say so myself. I, you know, going to New York, something that Larry Scott did with the, with the Pac-12, took the coaches all, got a lot of coaches and executives, um, actually announced the creation of the Pac-12 networks in New York, uh, not not San Francisco, not L.A. It was in New York uh, that he, he launched all that, you know, the, all the sponsorship stuff. That was actually something that, that I chatted with George Kovkov about not too long ago, uh, kind of when he took over, you know, they, they've, they've made some, some big pushes out in Pac-12 territory about signing some of those sponsorship deals. Cause that's truthfully, th those are the margins, you know, that you can kind of operate. Yeah. You, you got an eight, eight, seven, eight year, uh, you know, television contract, whether you're running it down or not, you know, those, those, those that, that is set. And so it's like, how, how can we continue to bring in additional revenue for the schools, you know, a lot of those sponsorship agreements, uh, marketing agreements, that, that is the way that you can do it. But um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is, uh, you know, the, the rebranding to make things cooler and hipper. I think I, I have the old slides at some point uh, somewhere regarding the old PAC 12 when they went through their uh, rebranding. I, I actually have somebody sent me that deck and like, I actually, you know, you can tell the old and like, they want to be innovative and you and should, cool you should and hip, send that you know? to me. Like we should write about that. Like, re sure, re revisiting sure. this, this is uh this is a good point. I hadn't, I had forgotten that this was, this so, was dropped this, in New that, York. As, as soon as, as, as I saw yeah. the, the, uh, the news there in, in, in the D1 ticker, of course, um, uh, <laughs> about the big 12, uh, hi, you know, hiring these folks and, and kind of doing this, this whole process, you know, I, I, that was like the first thing that popped in my mind was like, man, do, do they really know that this, this might be true just a little bit as, as uh, kind of a page out of Larry Scott handbook. But uh, I, I, I digress, you know, I, I think Brett Yormark, look, uh, all the, all the folks I, I, I've talked with out of the big 12, they, they, they've liked him that they, they think he's a, a breath of, a, a breath of fresh air and, and really has, you know, in, injected some energy, you know, around the big 12 and, and they want that to continue. Hopefully it translates into to the dollar figures, um, you know, as they mitigate the loss of, of Texas and Oklahoma in 2025. But, um, you know, I, I think everybody understands that, you know, not, not everything, um, you know, is as easy as saying we're, we're going to be the cool hip conference. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't even know what hip is anymore, man. 
Um, because when you think of hip, Stillwater, Oklahoma, let me tell you, and and Manhattan, Kansas, is definitely yeah. Cool. I mean, when I think when I think what is hip, I still think Tower of Power, which which just goes to show that I am not the person who should be the arbitrator of of these kind of things. Although, I mean, Tower of Power was pretty cool. Um, maybe not so much now when they're playing like the state fair circuit, but in like 1978, I bet they're pretty cool. Uh, you know what else is pretty cool? Home Field Apparel, our title sponsor of this podcast, a great friend of the D1 ticker, extended universe, and manufacturers of fine, exceptionally comfortable clothing with your favorite college logos and college IP on them. I am wearing the Indiana tuxedo again right now. It's a little bit chilly here recording this on, on a Thursday evening, so I am wearing a Marquette hoodie. Underneath that Marquette hoodie is in a. Here we go. We got the we got the the anteaters for Irvine over here with Fisher. Underneath this hoodie, I'm wearing an Ohio State uh, early '80s block O with like the italics kind of action, and then I'm wearing some doggers, uh, which are great because not only are they overwhelmingly easily the most comfortable sweatpants I've ever owned in my entire life, they've got a sad dog on them, which is great. The dog's probably sad because it seemed like for a minute UConn might make a bowl game this year, and they're, they're probably not, but they're at least conventionally bad. The only good take that I had this entire preseason was that UConn would not be biblically bad anymore. They would be regular garden variety bad, and by God that they are. They're probably going to win five games. Um, and they've got UConn stuff on home field apparel. They have Marquette stuff. They have UC Irvine stuff. They just dropped what might be honestly one of their best collections ever with that Mar- with the, the Marshall. Uh, re- re- I don't know if it's a rebrand or refresh. There's more Marshall stuff. There's a black T-shirt with the Buffalo on it. Uh, it's really good. I'll probably throw in a link to it in the in the show notes on extra points so you can see it. And when you go buy stuff from these guys, because they make really good clothes, um, clothes that we wear all the time. If you buy stuff from them, use promo code extra points to save 15% off that order. Help tell the boys in Indianapolis, boys and girls in Indianapolis, that they should continue to sponsor us. You get some comfortable clothes. You get to, to show yourself off as, as this, the, the wisest, most enlightened person in your tailgate. Everybody wins homefieldapparel.com. Um, before we uh, call in, bring, bring in the guest audio here, I, I think we I want to take a, a quick opportunity to plug everything else that we've been working on here for this week um, and, and and the week beyond, because we're going to have a, a, a slightly different schedule uh, moving forward. Next week, I will be in Charlotte. I will be on assignment uh, I do not know what my schedule is going to be like, so there's a decent chance you will not hear my dulcet tones on both of the podcasts for next week. But we'll, there'll be some more about what I'm doing in the Queen City on Extra Points. What else have you been up to, Brian? Oh, uh, getting busy for uh, the kind of fun closing stretch here in the season. Doing a lot of planning for, for a lot of future interviews with uh, commissioners yeah. and 80s and whatnot uh, as, as we kind of approach the season where we're, we're often and traveling, as, as you will be, uh, next week, but uh, yeah. you know, got a lot, a lot of stuff cooking as well. We got uh, some mid games coming up, so writing about that for Fox Sports as well uh, over the weekend. And uh, you know, I, I think the uh, overarching theme that uh, I, I've I've come to find out this this last week is not only have we hit the midway point, you know, kind of in the college football season, but we got college basketball starting, so there's there's a whole lot of focus on that. And uh, you know, those CFP rankings, you know, they are right around the corner, so I, oh. I'll be occupying a lot oh. of a lot of people like my time as well. So. I I had forgotten about that. That well, trust me, you you know, not having to tune into that show and 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 wait around, you know, for for who's number twenty four and then trying to find up find some takes, if you will, uh, about the committee's work. Uh, you know, you be, be you're in a blessed position. That, there, that is blessed. I there's there's a there's a lot 
I deeply miss about my time at SB Nation? Shit like that is not it. Like, I, I thoroughly enjoy, like, you know what? I don't have to watch every terrible November college basketball game. I don't have to watch this playoff selection show. I don't have to watch a lot of screaming sports television if I don't if I don't want to. And I go to bed well before the Hawaii game, um, which is which is which is pretty great. But I'm glad that other people are out there to shoulder that burden. Um, we on the beyond the uh, the Utah Collective story, I also interviewed a manufacturer and designer of mascots this week on Extra Points. We did a, a mailbag earlier this week and answered some of your questions about administrative stuff and expanding tournaments and some realignment things. We should have a, a commissioner interview that I think you'll be interested to hear about on Extra Points next week and some more updates on the travel front. So um, before my voice gives out here, thanks, everyone, for, for tuning in. We're, we're going to kick it to Jake to kind of explain a little bit more about how on earth you make West Virginia and Cincinnati and Kansas State and BYU cool if someone gave you a big stack of money to go do so. And we will catch up with you uh, in a couple of days. Why don't, why don't we kind of start with that? Like... When I think of the Big 12 and I look at it, I see a league that has a bunch of interesting athletic brands, but schools that are very different and coming up with some kind of cohesive brand story when you have a BYU and a West Virginia, which is the opposite of BYU, and a UCF and a Kansas State, I, I think that that might be a challenge. Am, am I reading that incorrectly here? Or, or, or tell me what, what you think when you look at this entity. 100%. It's so hard to go into this saying, oh, this is the cohesive story that threads together all of these universities. It's not like the SEC yeah. where it just means more and, and that whole campaign. But there's no you know specific tie regionally. I mean, the Pac-12 still has that. The Big Ten obviously does not have that anymore. But yeah, there's no specific thing that you can really say, oh yeah, this is what, at least on, on you know, uh, on the outside, you can't say like, okay, yeah, this is the thing that really ties us together culturally. And I think that is going to be a tough thing to try and grapple with for some of these creative teams, especially with an agency in translation that's based in New based in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. And it's worked mostly with New York entities or 95 corridor yeah. entities, right? Yeah. If you look primarily at their, you know, at their portfolio, a lot of what they do and a lot of what they do really well is NBA focused work. Like they did a lot of the NBA NBA's 75th anniversary creative. It's really steeped in amazing deep, you know, insights and references. It's fantastic work. And you can see that they are really uh, understanding of what is moving and understanding culture, specifically when the subculture of the NBA and then yeah. all the team subcultures within that. So they know and understand that. But now you're taking a lot of probably coastal creative teams Saying, okay, go understand Waco, Texas, Stillwater, Orlando, Houston, Provo, Utah. Try, okay, try and, you know, try and, you know, piece something together from this. And I think that, I mean, any good creative agency will tell their creative teams this. You know, obviously we understand what is cool and what is interesting. And it's fascinating to look at what your mark is saying in these interviews, saying, oh, yeah, we want to be at the, you know, we want to connect with youth culture. We want to contemporize. We want to modernize. They'll know how to do that. It's making sure that whatever they do from a creative perspective doesn't clash with the the brand and the personality that you have existing within these universities. Because then you then you run the risk of the Steve Buscemi, 
hello, fellow kids. You know, yeah. And, and this this was part of what I was thinking about. I mean, in your opinion, is this even the right question to be asking? Like, how do we make our conference of somewhat mismatched universities and mostly Great Plains, uh, you know, research institutions or land or, or and land grant institutions? How do we make that? contemporary and interesting and cool to youth culture, particularly not just in New York, but if I heard your remark correctly, also Los Angeles. Do you think that's the right thing to be to be talking about here? I think if you do it in the right way, right? You know, if it's how do we take, you know, uh, culture and infuse it into something, that's not going to work because that's when it's, you know, it's, hey, let's let's get Jack Harlow to come do this thing or let's go to yeah. this person who's cool to represent this maybe not so cool thing right now. What you need to do is take the, the personality, the unique nature of each of these you know, member institutions, try and find something that, and, and elevate it from there, as opposed to try and hand fisting something into, oh, here's what's cool about Provo, Utah, or here's what's cool about this thing. Yeah. I think you, you, know, you focus on the fascinating, um, prospect of this basketball conference i think that's a huge thing because obviously basketball youth culture there's a lot of things there that can work really well with some of the connections that they're trying to make with uh with music and with other elements of culture i think that you can focus on that and then you can also focus on the fact that unlike most of these other conferences and this is such a tricky thing to do in a creative way but every other conference has the uh the blue blood institution that leads the way they yeah. don't, they never advertise it. You know, the PAC 12 isn't, Hey, it's Oregon and USC's conference and the rest of these teams, they try and advertise that here's everything. Here's the whole group. Here's our, you know, academic member institutions. Here's this. Yeah. What the big 12 can do is say, this is up for grabs. If you're a student athlete and you want to go to a place and you, you know, you don't want to go to Kentucky and be in the shadow of everyone, uh, be in the shadow of Alabama and all the other football schools. You don't want to go to, um, you know, you don't want to go to Indiana and be in the shadow of, the, of those other schools. If you go to the Big 12, if you go to any of these schools, you can be the top dog or you can be, you know, you can be the school because there isn't a specific school that from a financial or resource perspective, that's going to tower over everyone else. Like you can really leave your mind. I think that's what a lot of schools try and sell you on anyways. That's yeah. not like, oh, come be a part of the, the biggest institution in all of, in all of college sports, it's, Hey, you, you know, come to Kansas because we're going to, you know, I'm sure that's what um, Lance Leipold's pitch was to all of his recruits, right? was, Hey, we're going to build something. We're going to do something unique and we're going to build something that you can be proud of. And you're going to, you're going to leave your mark on this university and on this conference. I think you can kind of similar, similarly say that where it's, you know, it's almost like he's saying it's open for business. It's, you know, you're not stuck to, um, being with one school or with one brand, it's, you know, this isn't just how we yeah. do things in the conference. It is, it's almost like the wild West. And that, I think being able to, you know, take all of those thoughts and understanding, okay, that things are so, you know, adaptable and meanable and, and, and movable from a athletic perspective, distill that down into something that's interesting in, in terms of a creative brief and let a team work off of that. And then I think you're fine. As long as long as it's not just you know, oh let's let's make something let's make something cool because you can't do that. No, I, I, that's that that's the, that would be the most dad thing possible, right? Let's let's make carrots cool. Um, it's not it's not a thing, and I, I think you're right. 
I can see how this would be really exciting from like a creative perspective or like an agency perspective, because if you're working with the Big Ten, for good or for ill, the Big Ten's like identity and image is pretty ossified. They've been doing the same thing for 150 years. It's we, you know, we are are the Midwestern IV, at least in terms of tradition is concerned and Woody Hayes and blah, blah, blah. And if like you do something with the Ohio State's color scheme, that's a little bit off. There's a congressional investigation. You know, there's you, you are what you are. And this is a time here where you get to maybe project something different. I've I've joked about this with some of my colleagues. One of the other things that makes this campaign fascinating to me is some of these schools aren't cool. And like I say that with love, like there's a lot of things I think we could say about BYU and 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 uh, the the culture around BYU, like youth oriented or cool, is are not is not one of them. And when, when I think of Baylor, even if Baylor has been very successful athletically in a bunch of different sports, cool is not really the first thing that I think of. I think if you spend a lot of time, I mean, like, I don't know, I don't know, I know a lot of Baylor grads. I don't know if, if cool or youth oriented or hip would necessarily be the things that I attach to those. Can you, I mean, if, if you were given this account and you're like, okay, we, 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 you can, you have a lot of runaway, you can, you can make things your own, but also a couple of the schools here are not hip. Like, how, how would you think about that? Is there a way to turn some of those negatives into potential positives? Um, or would you kind of try to lean away from school-specific branding and really lean into the league? I think that, you know, any good agency is going to send their people to each of these universities and each of the member institutions to really understand the culture and the nature of each of these places. Because yeah. if they don't do that, like any good agency will, will tell you this. They'll tell their creative teams this. You know, we're obviously cool people from California or from New York or Chicago. Yeah. What you need to like, this is what That's I remember. Right. Thank you. Great, I appreciate that. Thank you. A great <laughs> would always say, if you, you know, we're working on brands like Target, Domino's Pizza, Best Buy. If you really want to understand and make great advertising, you need to go to the Midwest or go somewhere in the South at least once a year so you can understand who's watching your ads. And so if translation's smart, they're going to send their teams, you know, out to each of these campuses to understand, okay, what's going on here? And you don't want to only make it insular to, oh, we need to make sure that the BYU fans are happy. We need to make sure the Oklahoma State fans are happy and the West Virginia yeah. fans are happy. Because, I mean, trying to do that, you're not going to please everyone. But you want to be able to at least hint to or be grounded in something that's real. And like you said, not say – hey, BYU is this thing, or all of our member institutions are cool. What you can do is find the nuggets, right? Like I was watching a couple commercials the other day. Uh, I was watching some of the SEC ones where they made small references to each of the unique things about their some of the programs. If it's like the hedges um, yeah. down, in, down in Athens or whatever it is, like there's certain things that while BYU as a whole is not cool, there's still, there's still specific athletes that have come out of BYU that are interesting. Yeah. Or personalities, <clears throat> certain things, you know, certain things like the, the volleyball, you know, incident, you know, notwithstanding BYU's volleyball setup and their um, just like the fan, you know, interactions that they have there. It's really unique and interesting. Yeah. They, you can get 8,000 people to a volleyball game there, which is not something that most of the big 12, like that is cool. Yeah. Yeah, the mountains are cool. Like there's, there's cool. I mean, there's specific things there. Sure. Okay. And I think it's, it's focusing in on, and it's tough because it's like, how do you take these nuggets, these small things, if it's athletes, if it's venues, if it's, you know, just like quirky things about these universities, how can you tie that all in together into an entire conference story? And maybe it's that, right? Where it's like, if you go to an SEC school, like 
what's all that different? And I know that there's a massive difference, but like, what is all that difference when you go and you look in the stands at Old Miss, Alabama, and Auburn? If you go into that student section, you're seeing bros and polos, or you're seeing, you know, you know, the girls in in Uggs and black, you know, black leggings or whatever. It's like pretty much the same, you know, the same type of feel. You know, if you took a snapshot and took away the colors, you guys are like, oh, that's an SEC. Yeah, especially, especially if there's ties, right? Yeah. Like that's that's not a thing anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. But if you go, you know, if you took a snapshot of the student section at BYU, at UCF, at Houston, at West Virginia, it's like we got a little bit of everything, you know. Yeah. And there's there's something unique, and I don't know if that's a, as big a selling point as as you can make it out to be, where it's like, hey, there is there's nothing that is wholly, you know. Uh, specific to like not every single team has every single thing about this in our conference like we have you know we have basketball schools we have schools in mountains we have schools by the beach we have schools in the middle of nowhere oklahoma it's 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 everything so i think there's a there's a way to make that you know not that we're in it's not like these are all the you know redheaded stepchildren of like their states but kind of right like every single one of these programs is not like the institution of their state it's oklahoma it's, 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 not it's, oklahoma. Ju- it's just kansas right like that's probably the only the only yeah. example i mean and then in utah byu probably is the largest most re- i mean recognizable in terms of i mean it's byu in utah right yeah but uh yeah you're right like kansas is probably the only one where it's like oh yeah i mean iowa is definitely you know probably seen larger more uh more important than iowa state and yeah. i think that goes for everyone else so it's almost the underdog mentality. It's like, how do you brand this as like the underdog conference without being like, oh yeah, we're the little, we're the little tough guys, right? Sure. Yeah. And and that I think kind of dovetails to the last big question. Uh, to your point, to my understanding, most of the schools in the Big 12 are still relatively regional. I mean, obviously you have fans all over the country, but if you're a fan of Kansas State, there's a decent chance that you live within 500 miles of Kansas State. The bulk of BYU fans, certainly not all of them, I know that international brand, the bulk of them live in the Pacific and Mountain time zones, right? You're mostly in the Book of Mormon belt. You are the Jello uh, belt, the Jello, the Jello belts, the 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 original state of Deseret, whatever, right? Like you're 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 in this you're in this area. And you don't tend to have huge concentrations of alumni in New York and Los Angeles. BYU is in Los Angeles, I know, and, and there, there's clearly some people because these are gigantic cities. But within the ACC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12, as much larger and more national universities tend to have larger alumni concentrations in those markets. If you're not already really there, what do you think is the value or the impetus to make sure that you become there knowing that? Maybe that's that sales cycle is a little it looks a little bit different than it might be for the Big Ten, where you already have half of Michigan's student body is already from suburban New Jersey and they're already going to be in that in that in that media market, you know? Yeah, I think it's the the value is in the conversation and kind of being in that mindset. And I kind of going back to what your mark said, in I thought it was interesting. He says he wants to be on the conscience of the future student athletes, right? Okay. So this isn't so much about like, oh, how do we excite our fan base or being you know, being in these conversations in these specific markets, you know, to help, you know, help, help bring up the conversation with, with alumni or whatever. Yeah. It's more about, okay, how can we speak to maybe this younger generation and say, Hey, 
you might be from New Jersey or you might be from California or you might be from the state of Washington, Texas, or whatever. This is why you should consider the big 12. You know, it's, you know, I, th- I think that the SEC and the Big Ten, they're obviously going to have their super powerful brands and member institutions that are going to be able to lure these specific student-athletes. But I think that he's saying, okay, from a brand perspective, what can we do to at least be a part of the conversation? Okay. Right? So I think that's that's probably there in, in their mind. And I think what your mark is thinking, okay, we can only do so much from the athletic standpoint. Like I think he's probably thinking to himself, I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that the football and basketball of this conference from a competitive standpoint is going to put us in a position to succeed always. But if we can also increase conversation and relevance, then that's going to help at least potentially, you know, within the recruiting circles, maybe bring more attention to our conference and at least increase consideration within that, within that group. No, that, 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 that makes sense. That, and, and I would, I would also imagine if your background is so heavily tied to New York or, or to the East coast and you're in the sponsorship of the multimedia rights business, the more people elsewhere are talking about you, perhaps the more it easier might be to sell somebody and becoming the official beef jerky, of the big 12, but from the recruiting perspective makes a ton of sense. Jake, uh, the last thing I like to ask in here is, is there anything that you think I should be asking that I haven't about trying to understand all of this right now, because you're the expert and I am the dumbass. It's such a it's such a fascinating thing. It's I'm really going to be curious to see how the translation is leveraged, not just from a creative standpoint on um, creative consulting in terms of like advertising spots and imaging. I mean, they're going to continue to work with LDWW, which I think is more of like an, an event branding agency. Like you see yeah. them, they're going to be. I mean, that that is they're a Dallas, Oklahoma City agency. So they're going to be like boots on the ground for translation and saying like, hey, sure. yeah, you'll be able to help us understand most of these institutions and at least in terms of some of the events that we're going to go to. But beyond just uh, messaging, like is translation going to be able to help influence how they operate? You know, like any anytime an ad agency gets briefed in onto a project, you know, the initial brief is, hey, help us with this 30 second video, help us with this even campaign. Yeah. But sometimes you want to be able to go and say, hey, what can you do to change your product? Or what can you do to change like your approach in this way? And I think that they'll be given the leeway, I would think, because I think that translation is a decent enough agency to be able to help influence all parts of the brand that they'll be able to go in and say, oh, here's what you can do with your broadcasts. Here's what you can do with your, your TV production partners. Right. I think that's the thing that and I, I think that your marks probably asking is okay, we're going to be partnered with ESPN or the or Fox or maybe a streaming service. What can we do to make our product even more unique outside of that? And I think that as a creative, that, that is the most fascinating stuff. And I remember doing some yeah. consulting work with Amazon about four years ago, and they had just started to broadcast the NFL games. And they were starting to ask similar questions. They, they, are, they were saying, what can we do to stand out from all these other networks that broadcast NFL games? Yeah. Make sure that whenever we, the, whenever people come to this and they say, "Oh yeah, this is an Amazon football watching experience. This isn't just Fox, Fox, but on my phone or Fox, but on my computer." So, I think that's the that's the thing that I'm most curious about because you can run as many commercials as you want and you can spend a bunch of money, but the biggest way to kind of change the perception is someone's you know you have lots of people that are going to watch these games. 
is there something unique that you can do within the broadcast or with any other parts of the, the brand experience? Because that's another thing that a lot of agencies will, you know, tell their, uh, tell their clients is you can say, you know, you know, better ingredients, better pizza, whatever this, but if you really don't have those things, then why are we saying it? Right. Like you, we can, we can run a campaign, but if it's not truly aligned to what it is, like if the big 12 comes out and says, Oh yeah, we're, you know, we're culturally relevant. But if that doesn't align with every brand touch point, then that's not going to fall flat. So I would, I'm more curious about all the other opportunities that a creative agency or, or these kind of, you know, marketing folks that uh, your marks bringing in and what they can do to uh, at least level up from those, those positions. That that's a great point. I, had, I hadn't really thought about the relationship that an an agency might have with either a broadcast partner or with the school to let to give them advice or how to talk about uh, what, what what else you could be doing during that particular experience because that is how more people are going to interface with these brands beyond a commercial or an activation in Oklahoma City um, or visiting campus. That that it makes it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. You know, and, and you don't have a channel to produce 24-7 propaganda like some of the other places do. And any good agency who's worth their salt will do that, right? They'll say, yeah. oh, yeah, here are all these opportunities and events or stunts or whatever it is that you can do to, you know, to, to elevate or to really at least, you know, or, or to connect. And I'm curious to see they, at least your marks kind of mentioned in a few different places, uh, influencers, and at least influence community. And I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of opportunity with, uh, you know, with Instagram and TikTok and a lot of these other specific social channels to say, okay, what can you do with probably some unique personalities at each of these universities to connect with this young group of, of students, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, you, if you're really wanting to speak to this incoming 13 to 18 group of, you know, potential students where maybe you're not trying to get all of the athletes, but hey, maybe you want to increase enrollment or, you know, applications to some of these specific universities. Yeah, you can do that. If there's an interesting influencer opportunity, again, it can't be something that's just like, oh, hey, we got Charlie D'Amelio to come do a TikTok dance with, um, with the TCU Horn Frog. Come, you know, come hang out at TCU, right? Yeah. That's sort of from the ground up. It's like, okay, what are the interesting, you know, social people or interesting uh, movements that are happening on these campuses and then elevate them from there? That makes sense. Um, Jake, thanks so much for taking some time here to chat with us. This has been extremely helpful.